people either loved it or hated it. It seems there were more people who didn't take to it. You just can't bring a lot of people back in once you've lost that one shot with them. This season on No Sugar Code, we're going back to where it all started, food. I'm sitting down with the Mavericks of the culinary space to talk about their journeys, the drive required to follow a passion and what makes a food business successful. I'm Pooja Dingra, chef and founder of Love 15 Patisserie. Welcome to my podcast, No Sugar Code, where the sugar stays in the kitchen and out of the conversation. Today's guest decided to take a one-year sabbatical from her tax consulting career to go on a food adventure with her partner in 2011. It's been 12 years and she's still on that adventure, serving up great food at the many restaurants she's launched since then. Gauri Devideyal is the co-founder of the Food Matters Group, homes to restaurants and brands like The Table, Max Street Kitchen, Max Street Bread Co., Iktara, Mumbai, Misty Delivery and Max Street Cafe. What made her take a leap of faith into the culinary world with no background in the hospitality industry? Here's Gauri to tell us the whole story and more. So the table turned 12 years old. Yes. Congratulations. I turned about 20 years <laughs> older in that same period. <laughs> so I have this memory and um, I, we've spoken about it a couple of times. But I had just come back from culinary school and I think I was about 22 and I was just kind of figuring out what I want to do. And then Jay actually reached out to me. And I still remember meeting him at like Willingdon or Bombay Gym. Bombay, one of gym. These, Bombay gym, one of these clubs. And he came to me and said, I have this beautiful space in Colaba that I want to open a French bakery in. And can you help? And I was just so new. I had no experience. And I was like, okay, what do you want to do? And he's like, he had a, a French chef, a visiting chef with him who said, we want to make French bread and do all of this luxury sort of French pastry. And at that point, I was like, uh, I, I don't think I'm fit for it. And I want to do my own thing. But the table was actually supposed to be a French style bakery. Can you talk to me about that? So, uh, Pooja, that same French gentleman that you're referring to, uh, he's actually the uh, founder of the San Francisco Baking Institute. And Jay had, in his previous avatar, done the the whole telecom setup for the SFBI. And that's how he knew um, Michelle. But anyway, I think shortly after that meeting, Michelle basically said, you cannot do a bakery in Bombay. There is nothing that is viable for a bakery in Bombay, or at least doing, you know, French patisserie or vinoiserie. So that idea got uh, scrapped very quickly after. Jay had this whole dream of like getting Paul to Bombay and all sorts of things. Yeah, so that is the way it all started, but then it uh, took a slightly different turn. And no experience in FNB, no experience in restaurants. I mean, come on, how many of us actually, you know, I've been saying that, but like, I think, uh, okay, you went to like proper culinary schools. But I think a lot of us who then started our own businesses didn't have yeah. any business experience, right? And I, I think like, yes, while you had the technical... I had no business experience. Exactly. So, you know, and I think we were... Maybe being a lawyer and a CA would have helped <laughs> a lot. I think it did, actually. It helped with a few things. But um, it's funny. And also, you know, even if you've worked in places, running a business is a whole different ballgame, yeah. right? And then doing it in India as well. So even if you've run a business somewhere else in the world, doing it in India or Bombay in our case, is a whole different ballgame that I don't think anything can really prepare you for. But you know, the, the interesting thing is that I'm actually so grateful that I had the background that I did, because like you said, that it's been such a boon, 
you know, because that's the one bit that a lot of people really avoid. Uh, and <laughs> so I'm like, sure you're not you one of them. <laughs> I am 100% definitely on top of that list because I was like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastry chef. And then you start this business and you're like, okay. <laughs> I'm also, I need to be an accountant and uh, everything, everything else as well. Customer yeah. service and yeah. supply chain, logistics, marketing, PR. Yeah. I was like, I don't understand any of this. But you know, the thing is that a lot of these other things, which I also had no background in like marketing, PR, but you sort of learn a little bit and you, it's such a evolving space in itself that there's no amount of training that you can have, right? You kind of have to learn. I mean, you've seen like with everything going digital, all of that. Yeah. But I think like accounts and finance and legal sort of... It's um, a foundation. It's, it's like it's the exactly. exactly. And like it's something base. that you do, I feel, and I say this to everyone who asks me, like, you know, what's your advice to <laughs> startup founders? <laughs> but, you know, you need to do a basic course in accounts. And that sounds like dull as dishwater, but you have to do it because even though you're not going to become the CFO necessarily, but you need to know. Yeah, I mean, that was the biggest lesson takeaway yeah. for me as well. And I think it's still every day I'm learning. Every day I go to work and I'm like, oh, this is how this could have been done. But know, I remember you way. posted about this as well and how you did a basic account. I think your like investors made you do this like yeah, yeah, yeah. basic course in accounts. And I'm like, see, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you have to. But so what were the initial like, say, three, four years of setting the table up like for you guys? You know, I, I want to say this sort of at the outset that when we started... 12 years ago, the whole F&B industry and scenario was very different from today. I wouldn't necessarily say do it that way if you were opening something, you know, in 2023. What were the some of the things that you think have changed? So, so first of all, you know, there were fewer restaurants out there, standalone restaurants out there. And I think people were willing to give places a second chance if, you know, they maybe didn't get it the first time. And, you know, they were just sort of there was no, by the way, no social media. I remember Instagram, my first post on Instagram was in 2014, which was probably later than most people <laughs> as well. I remember being at the table once with yeah. Artish and saying, God, you I remember post. This. No, and I have to say this, you had 10,000 followers then and I was like, Pooja, how have you got 10,000 followers? Like, I remember this. I, I distinctly remember this. It was after Sunday brunch. Yeah. And we were sitting there having and I was coffee. Like, Come on, yeah. post something. Post a picture of this. It's so easy. Yeah. Oh, God. Now he can't. Like, Jay is like, can you get off your phone? But, you know, so it was a very different scenario. And I think people were just more open to coming out, just trying, figuring things out for themselves. You know, that's obviously from a marketing standpoint, but just as an operation as well, we actually only opened for dinner for the first five months because, you know, we wanted to get that bit right before sort of overextending. And um, our prep kitchen actually was about, you know, a 10, 15 minute walk away. It wasn't where it is now and it wasn't that big. So we really didn't want to go all out till we were getting comfortable so we started lunch five months later and I remember that that, I mean, we knew why we were sort of staggering the operations, but sort of by then people associated table with only dinner. And so it took us a really long time to establish the fact that you can also come and have lunch. I would say it almost took a year before wow. people started, you know, coming out for lunch. We started Sunday brunch about three or four months after we started lunch. So that was a different menu. So all these things 
today, I think it would be challenging to open a restaurant where you don't open. So tell me, when you started and you started this and you're only doing dinner service and now it's taken a year for people to... So there must have been times where lunch service was... Dead. Dead. How do you at that point deal with it? What do you kind of feel? Do you feel like, oh my God, I've done the wrong thing? How do you kind of go back and do you feel like you did something differently? So that was actually one thing that we never felt that, oh, have we done the wrong thing? And also you can't think that because you it's too late. You can't turn back time. But I think that, you know, we just had to be very patient. You have to have really, really firm belief in what you're doing. You know, you will have those moments of doubt. There's no question about it. And also the thing is that we were getting great feedback from the, all the people coming for dinner. So it wasn't that there was something wrong with the food or the concept. It was just that either people didn't know we were open for lunch and we didn't have Instagram. So, you know, getting that word out yeah. was obviously a bigger challenge. But then also people said like, oh, it's more of a dinner space. celebratory, indulgent, fine dining thing, like not so much a lunch space. Casual catch-up. We tried having a slightly different menu for lunch, which was more casual, quicker sort of service, quicker food. Even, you know, till date, the lunch menu is a little different from dinner. But beyond that, it was really a thing of, you know, weight. And again, this is something I say, which I don't think has changed, is that when you get into especially the restaurant business, you know, they say, oh, have six months working capital. I would say have like <laughs> more than a year's worth of working capital yeah. because you'll plan for those six months and everything unplanned is what then gets taken care of with that buffer that you keep so it's something that yes you have to be patient and so when you started the table you had Alex yeah. the chef that was quite the public face of the restaurant and then at the end of it he split from the restaurant group and then went and opened his own thing what was that period like for you so interestingly and I don't know if you remember this but about three years after the table had opened he went back to New York yeah. and you know, he was working at 11 Madison Park for about a year. And that time, the first time when he went off was actually the sort of more kind of challenging time for us because, again, this was not nothing to do with Instagram and the sort of media part of it, but just from an operational standpoint, uh, having the confidence that the team could manage. They themselves, you know, having that confidence, not just us, but you know, it, it it was what it was. And so we said, look, we'll be there to support whatever you need. And we believe in you and you can do this. Yeah. And they did do it, yeah. right? So it gave us the confidence then when he finally did want to move on. After he came back, he was there for a few more years. And then when he finally wanted to move on, then it wasn't so much the operational challenge that we were concerned with. Then it was just a matter of managing public perception because everyone thinks... Oh, a restaurant is, is a one-man show <laughs> and, you know, if a chef's gone, then yeah. that's the end of it. And, you know, it could be true for a lot of restaurants where a chef is probably entirely looking after operations. But I think, you know, we were so involved. So I think having that us as a support system, you know, gave everyone confidence that we can do it and then it was just a matter of time when people were like oh actually it's and fine. I, I feel the same right because we had the Kolaba cafe right next to you guys and I think before we shut it down in 2020 we had a whole year where our sous chef kind of took over 
and initially i was feeling the same things i was like oh my god i can make dessert but yeah. i can't really run the the savory kitchen and i had moments of doubt and moments of self doubt saying like oh you know is i knew that a lot of people came to the cafe for the chef and i was like if he's not here will they still come will they still like the food will it be different but it was fine and, and the interesting is- thing is there are a lot of people who don't have a clue who the chef is yeah. right so a lot of this doubt and anxiety is self imposed and i think that's been one of my biggest learnings and that's with me for love 15 as well right because in my head it's like oh you know i'm the chef at love 15 and then a business consultant came to me she's like darling i had no idea who you were <laughs> she's like <laughs> reality <laughs> check come down to earth she, puja <laughs> she's like i would go to your shop because my parents live next to it and i would walk in because i like the macaroons but i didn't care who was like making them i was like okay thanks that makes me feel a lot better yeah uh, but yeah those are like little things i think when you run a business you kind of and there realizations that come in through the process and the path. I mean, I've seen how I've evolved yeah. as a person in just dealing with stress. I remember when we first opened, there were so many things, like if one guest said something that this wasn't good or, you know, I didn't have a... I wouldn't sleep for nights. Would you, know? would you take it personally? Because that's yeah, what I would do. I would take it... I would. I would take and when people so said, don't take it personally, I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> this has like been my blood, sweat and tears. Obviously, I'm going to take it personally. But now I realize what they mean when they say don't take it personally, which is that... Firstly, the fact is that you can't please a hundred percent of you know, and that's not an excuse or a way of yeah. But it's a reality. Yeah. The second thing is, shit will happen. People will make mistakes. Your team will make mistakes. Things will get screwed up. And that human sort of aspect of this business is also what brings so much pleasure to this you know experience. So. you have to recognize that and not be this perfectionist that i was the auditor <laughs> you know it's like you cannot make one mistake and it's about how you deal with that not just yourself but also with your team where it's like okay it's fine you know has that changed you as a leader as well and and as with, with your team like what changes? i think so yeah. i think i of course i still get mad when you know the same things happen again and again the same mistakes but i also realize that as we grew as a business and you know launched other brands that i can't be everywhere you know i have to empower the team to take decisions and in getting them to a place where they can do that and they understand what to do which is not just coming from me as a do this do that but them learning for themselves that's part and parcel of it so you know hopefully they're fewer and far between yeah. and it's not just about growing other brands i mean most of our other brands have happened a lot later in these 12 years yeah. but just as a person if i want to do something else and that's going to take me away Delegate from you have to learn how to do that and talking about the other brands how did that come about what was that always part of the plan or so firstly there was no plan ever <laughs> <laughs> that's um, very reassuring yeah let's just let's just put that out there um there's there's never been a plan and you know after we opened the table and it sort of after about two or three years everyone was like okay open one more open in bandra open in delhi open whatever <laughs> right the usual and we looked at a lot of spaces didn't sort of nothing either there was Hazard issues. Did you want to issues. open another one of an, another table? Was that part of? Would you consider? I that? didn't know. I mean, I don't think we knew otherwise, right? Because yeah. that was the only brand yeah. we had. So we yeah. were like, but it was something we were very nervous about because something worked about this location and this whole sort of space, and it's not easy to replicate that, right? It wasn't a sort of chain format kind of space. So 
it really had to be the right space. And of course, you know, as you know as well, like Bombay is not exactly easy to find real estate that works, especially for a restaurant. But we spend is a l- so expensive. <laughs> it is. It's expensive. The licensing, yeah. you know, all sorts of things, right? So we spend a lot of time looking at spaces, and then uh, because we were spending more time with brokers than I think family <laughs> or, or our team, at one point my my dad said like, "Hey, you know, I've got this like." decrepit like warehouse in in the middle of nowhere like you know you deal with all these brokers you keep meeting them like can you just ask one of them to like flog this off for me and uh, and that's, and that's when Jay was like why flog it off we'll take <laughs> we it. found space and um and what a beautiful space well it, it yeah. wasn't quite that beautiful <laughs> when uh, when we first set eyes on it so that's what became magazine street kitchen but it wasn't exactly a space or a location that was conducive to a restaurant. So then we kind of had to rethink what we were going to do. And um, that space took us two years to do. So uh, we opened finally in June 2016. I remember you did the first ever, you were part of the first ever dinner that we did there, which was um, a charity event. And uh, it was a space, again, everyone told us, you're crazy. No one's ever going to find it or come there. Everyone found Um, it. (laughs) Eventually. We we all tracked there. I have to tell you something really funny. So... In the first few months of it, I used to go, obviously, for every event. And uh, I was taking an Uber once. And, you know, I knew the way. So I directed him because he obviously had no clue where we were going. And then he said, Ithar, kya hai, madam? Because it was all dark. And I said, I did not explain, like, a kitchen and sort of that whole concept to him. So I just said, Ithar, a restaurant hai. And he said, Aajkal, kahan, kahan log restaurant khol dete? And I was just like, I don't want your commentary. Just drop me off and go away. Like, you know, I don't, I, like, as it is, I was hearing this from like my, my family, like breathing down my neck. And I was just, anyway, so that happened. So like I said, it was kind of accidentally. It wasn't. So you had table, then we had Mag Street. Kitchen. Uh, kitchen and then the bakery came so the bakery then because we now had all the space we were like and what that do was we do? the original dream <laughs> yeah so the- you know it was like what do we do here yeah. and um again it was the idea was that uh we were already making a lot of the breads for the restaurant for the table and you know we'd always felt that there wasn't a great sort of bakery in the city because doing Michelle this kind said of... it's not possible. There was that as well that was kind of uh, at the back of our mind. But uh, Alex and Chef Rachel, yeah. they both sort of clearly proved Michelle wrong <laughs> yeah. and worked on um, a great bakery menu. And then because we had space at Mag Street Kitchen, we moved the bakery prep there and started um, supplying you again. I think oh, yes. one of our first yes. uh, ever bakery clients. So, so Pooja, you've been with us throughout. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's what we started. And so for a long time, then it was Max Street Kitchen, Max Street Bread Co. and The Table. And then there was Misty. Yeah, so two years later, this space came up in Kolaba. And of course, when you're looking into another restaurant, you don't look in your own backyard because that just seems crazy. But then it's also one of those weird things where when a great location comes up, you're just like, I can't let it go. I'll figure something out. And so, again, there was no plan. But we did this. We decided. And so the Woodside Boys, yes. um, Abhishek, Pankal, Sumit. Uh, so more Abhishek, we'd been talking about like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do I something think together? I the first restaurant that you saw like to, I wouldn't say competing. I don't think we were competing, but I think that... uh, Everyone else thought so. Well, maybe. I mean, I didn't see it as that, but it was definitely, I think, one of the first times the two restaurant groups came together to do something, right? And I think there was a lot of 
different reasons for that. You know, partly that we were like, okay, it's just two of us so far and we've got a lot on our plate already and it would be nice to have the support. I think one of the reasons you don't see this happen so much is because a lot of there's a lot of trust involved, right, with business partners and co-founders. And obviously, hopefully it's there between two spouses, but bringing in outsiders can, it's always tricky, right? Mm. So, but there was just never that question in our mind with the three boys. And the reason I say that I don't think we were competitors was because it's a very different vibe. It's a very different experience that you're catering to. And, And, you know, we both are patrons of each other's spaces. And and we go there at different times for different reasons, right? Exactly. And we hugely respect what we respectfully do. So I think it felt more like there was a synergy rather than anything else. Because with Misty, the idea was to do, you know, a very bar-centric yet dining space. We felt that, you know, we would be able to complement, bring our strengths to that operation rather than, you know, yeah. see it any other way. And so it was always like... There's no reason not to do this. But of course, that didn't pan out the so way we planned. So what were the biggest learnings from that experience for you? Oh, God, loads <laughs> of them. For me, and I, I don't want to say this as a blanket sort of diktat that this is it, but I do feel that in a restaurant, you need to focus on either the food or the bar. We had this whole vision of what we wanted. We wanted the sexy cocktail bar with delicious Vietnamese and Burmese, like Southeast Asian food. So we had certain rules, like I think under 21 wasn't allowed or something, uh, some age, like 18 maybe um, after 7 p.m. And, you know, the idea was that we wanted to go somewhere and have a lovely cocktail with someone and not have like kids around or whatever. Yeah, like, you know, a really nice date night. And I felt like in South Bombay at that time, there weren't that many choices for that. And that backfired, honestly, because this was still in a in the premium dining space. So there is a limited audience for this. Then when you cut out half the family as well, yeah, yeah. it's a very tricky thing, right? So there was that. I think the food, we loved, you know, everything that we had um, tried when we traveled to Vietnam. But Vietnamese food is very, very pork and meat centric it's not um, vegetarian friendly (laughs) and uh, I think that again was something that you know we maybe didn't take seriously enough when we opened so I think the menu and this is what I was referring to when I said right in the beginning that like 12 years ago when the table opened and it was a very it was a new concept for a lot of people, right? Because it wasn't sort of one. There were hardly any Well, and also like as a cuisine, it was, they couldn't pigeonhole it into so one type of cuisine. Yeah, it was like, I, I can't <laughs> say that. I can't get myself to say it. Um, and, you know, the whole sharing plates, whatever. So there was enough throwing people off with that. But they were still like open to... With this, it was literally something that, you know, very quickly people either loved it or hated it. It seems there were more people who didn't take to it. You just can't bring a lot of people back in once you've lost that one shot with them. So as a business owner, at what point do you say, okay, we tried this, but it's not working, time to move on? It's really hard. You know, you're just like, acha, give it one more month. Acha, we'll try one more thing. thing. Just like, exactly. And then at some point, you're just like, I don't have any money left. (laughs) It usually comes down to that. And it's really hard. I mean, we went through it and I can definitively say that it is one of the toughest decisions to make. You know, you also have this ego, right? That 
there was a lot riding on this second restaurant because, and I don't know if this was the perception outside, but for me, I felt like it was very important to me that people didn't think, oh, the table was a one-hit wonder and we couldn't pull this off again. You're like, oh, I don't want to put this on luck and this actually I can... Exactly. But it just wasn't working. And I think I went through my own like mental process of understanding that no one cares actually. It's in my head. Yeah. But, you know, when you kind of get over those sort of obstacles in your own mind, you can make a sort of clearer decision to say, hey, it's a business. It's not working. Either pivot into something different, which is what we decided to do, or close it down or whatever. But you have to be decisive. Or you'll be pushed against the wall and you'll have to do it anyway. Well, I I mean... As I had to. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, Yeah. there was... I remember, you know, COVID kind of also was the last nail in the coffin. Mm -hmm. But I think there was, yeah, there was a bunch of things. And that happened with us as well, right? Did you ever feel, because I know this happens with properties a lot where everyone is like, this is a bad luck property. You know, at one point, (laughs) I learned a lot about Vastu, by the way, (laughs) in in 2020. (laughs) What all did you do? (laughs) Tell me. No, look, you know, it's that coming back to that thing of hope that you just try things out. And you know, the funny thing is with the table as well, ironically, it's a corner property Mm. and they were always like the ones that people thought were bad luck and they never took those spaces. And that's why a lot of the Irani cafes, etc. are in corner properties because they they were like, we'll take it, it's cheap rent. And, you know, and today a corner property is like the most sought after thing, right? So... Um, yours was a corner property exactly. as well. And so, you know, I've never really been a big believer in this. And I mean, not to sort of put it down. When things are going wrong and you're trying to fix everything and you're yeah. like, maybe there's something that's just beyond my control. And yeah. maybe it's like, oh, the property is bad. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, like... I actually remember <laughs> in your cafe, your mum coming yeah. to do a reading and I was just like, what do you think we should do with the cafe? And she probably thought I was like, cuckoo. But uh, oh, I was no, like, no, is no, there anything good <laughs> coming around? <laughs> so, you know, it's literally like you're looking for answers yeah. everywhere. Or, you're, you know, you're looking for that sort of definitive answer because you probably know something in your heart. But you but turned it around. Yeah, well, no, there was a little hiccup <laughs> before that as well because we turned it around to a Cantonese concept, which lasted about five minutes because then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. So that was a bummer as well. Like we opened May 13, 10 days before we closed it. So what are you feeling at this stage? You know, you're like, okay. So, you know, that closed obviously because of COVID. So it didn't, we didn't take that personally the second time round. But obviously you're like a a little bit like, I've just spent a lot of money on doing this or rebranding it. But at that point, there were like bigger problems, honestly. That was one of many problems, right? So... And we didn't realize the extent of how long it would go on. So you, we still felt like, hey, maybe it'll resume yeah. at some point. But I remember at, and then at some point when we realized it wouldn't resume, there was a, a Vastu consultant <laughs> involved again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he said to um, someone that we were talking to about doing something there that do not touch the space. And unless you move the entrance to the back and the kitchen in the front. And I was like... How that's that not going to happen. happen. And then I was also like, hey, Busaba ran like really successfully for I don't know how Very many long. years. Yeah. So I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. But anyway, like we don't have a choice. We've already spent so much money here. And, you know, we've got another shot. Like the landlords were great um, with us. So we were just like, look, you've pretty much lost everything. Like, you know, give it one last shot. Yeah. And then we opened Max Street Cafe in October 21. 
So, you know, the funny thing is, so this person had said to us that like for three months, it'll all be great because, you know, everyone in Bombay comes to check out all the new places. And so till Jan, you I will, was just shitting myself. You like, were like, now it's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. I was now like, <laughs> it's suddenly just going to go like downhill from here. And, um, you know, touch wood, touching yeah, like yeah. all the wood here. It's almost going to be a year and a half. And we've opened the second one now. That's in amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. But... It's a trippy ride. Look, that's yeah. all I can say about yeah. this whole thing. And you can't let this consume you to a point where, you know, it really brings you down. Yeah. You have to see this as it's a business. Yeah. Yes, you'll have stressful days. But when you kind of sit back and look at it, you can't sort of let this define you to a point where it dictates how you feel and, you know, yeah. all the time. And I think if you can kind of step back and say I'm still capable of doing lots of things. And yes, there will be ups and downs and all of that. But I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, I'll figure it out. You know, and I think that's what I've learned over the last 12 years. And I remember when when I did your podcast, there was a question that you asked me about personal brand. And you were like, how did this whole Pooja Dhingra personal brand happen? And I was like, I don't even know that this is a brand. I'm going to ask you the same question, I don't question, know why Gauri. you're bothering to ask me this. I'm going to because... ask you the very same question, Gauri Devi there. Oh, God. How did the brand Gauri Devi come to be? What brand? No. Um... No, but on a more serious note, I know that when you started Misty, that's when you started a podcast and um, got bit by that bug and then we can't leave the mic now. It would be nice to know a little bit about that journey as well. And I never thought of it as I'm going to go out there and build my personal brand. I think it's something that, you know, you do what you do and people take from it what they take from it and it sort of takes a life of its own. But even today, I'll say that I love doing the podcast. It's my getaway from work. Maybe I get away a bit too much from work <laughs> now because of it. But it has taken a life of its own. You know, even what I put out on, I don't know, Instagram or like LinkedIn or wherever, you know, I'm putting things out or like coming and sort of talking mm-hmm. in different places. I, I don't have a an agenda with respect to personal brand. I think yeah. if you have something of value to share or say, sometimes I don't have anything of value to say, but I just say it anyway. <laughs> do it yeah and I actually didn't realize you know with the podcast for example like whatever two three years ago in fact uh it started in COVID the second one um this round is on me and people were like what podcast like who listens to this what are you doing like what are you wasting your time doing and I was just like I've got all the time in the world like in COVID and you know um, my potential guests have all the time in the world as well I'm just gonna do it because it's keeping me you know sane entertained distracted whatever you want to call it and I'm having fun doing it right I didn't have any clue what impact it's gonna have or who's listening, what numbers I should be, you know, none of all of that. But it is clearly having some impact. I have people who, you know, message or like they'll meet me and say, I remember once we were, Jay and I were out somewhere and someone was like, oh my God, I love your podcast. And he just looked at her like, (laughs) what kind of creature is this? (laughs) But, But, um, you know, so that's the thing. I think you just do, as long as you're sort of putting something that's, worth listening to out in the world but I also think what really helps with is just representation you know like I feel like when I started there was such few women in the business in general you could count them like even the decision to go to culinary school you couldn't look at anybody and say that oh this is what a future in this business could be like 
you know there was it was always only yeah. men and i think that you have to kind of speak louder and be present and be like that may not be the agenda but yeah. the impact that it actually has on a whole generation of women who then look at you and say that oh i can do this and this is an option yeah i think that's what's really great about it yeah i mean that's what i'm saying i think i don't know what people take from what you're doing but if you do it with some kind of sincerity and you yeah. feel like there you have something to share put it out there and that's what personal brand is what person <laughs> <laughs> i saw a post you did the other day about mom guilt and uh, do you still feel that you started the business when dia was still no she wasn't born she, was, she wasn't born <laughs> um yeah. yeah she was born 2 years 2 years later. into it yeah what has the process been like for you dealing with juggling all those different hats now you have another one added to the mix not another baby <laughs> um i've talked about this a lot yeah. that i i struggled a lot in the beginning where I remember even the nursery school she went to said that you know you should be home when the child comes home and I was like well how do you expect me to do that you know and you know even family was like oh can't you work part time and I was like I don't work for someone I work for myself so it was a big guilt that actually because you don't know otherwise right so you're like hearing all these people from you know people you respect you look up to you seek their advice for most other things and then you hear this so then you question yourself i don't know when it happened but at one point it just snapped in my head where i was like i'm not the first working mother i think you know i'll figure this out like we do everything in life right whether it's business yeah. marriage whatever you'll figure it out and there will be times when you get it wrong but i'm not listening to all this noise around me i genuinely believe that it'll be okay yeah and so that's how i'm going to do it right and even now there are times when you'll hear like a little bit of patter of stuff but you you really again have to come back and be like you know what i know i'm putting my best foot forward i know the kid is generally like okay and you just go with cool. your gut you know yeah. you can't like with anything Thing, right yeah. it's not just about being a mom it's like even on business you might hear like 10 people giving yeah, yeah. you gyan you might hear you just be like hey i'm going to do what i feel like If you had to give advice to someone young who's entering the F&B industry today, what would you tell them? Firstly, I would say that you know a lot of what we've talked about, yeah. right? Like in terms of the sort of the practical part, which is have the backup funds for longer than you think, budget more than you think you're going to even when you do your business plan, like maybe do one and a half x because mm-hmm. there'll be a hundred things you don't anticipate. all those things you know having the right partner if there is a partner etc but most importantly you've got to believe in what you're doing you know a lot of people do a product because so you might see an opportunity and you fill a gap you're solving a problem but given in f&b particularly how much it takes from you in terms of time and energy especially when you're setting something up it has to be something that you really love i mean i know in your case you know you eat sleep and breathe what you yeah. do and and still it's challenging no but imagine if it was something then that you yeah. you didn't sort of necessarily you want a consumer of your own product yeah. and you're having to spend like all yeah. your waking hours yeah. doing it it's going to be a challenge trust me you know yeah. um and that sort of passion that you feel for what you do it comes across to people right you may not be out there screaming it from a loudspeaker yeah. but it will come across and 
that's actually what goes into making a great experience. And we'll see you through when things get really tough as well. Like, yeah. yeah. And also, like I said earlier, patience. You know, it's not an easy ride. It's something that there's no sort of quick money from this. There's no money in it. <laughs> At all. Like, why do you want to do this Let again? Let it all quick or slow. <laughs> But I, I think the patience one yeah. is, is key because I feel like everyone wants results overnight, especially now with the world that we live in and everything happens so yeah. fast. Everyone's like, I want to open a bakery and I want to be successful and I want to do this. As I, I've been doing it 13 years, you know, yeah. like it takes time. It takes time to do it. And also like, you know, I mean, when you have investors, sometimes there's a lot of pressure yeah. and yeah. we had, you know, great investors supporting us through Misty and the pressure is self-imposed. So, you know, just also be mindful when you're, taking on other people's money, you know, if you're starting something out, because they might be absolutely wonderful in terms of being supportive. And, but there is a lot of responsibility that comes with that. So, yeah. That was a good one. I'm going to take that for myself as well. So what's new, Gauri? What's happening? What are you excited about? (laughs) Tell us. So I have written a book uh, with a friend, a co-author, uh, the person who actually can write. So I had the stories. He, he could write Vishwas Kulkarni, a really dear friend. And uh, I had this crazy idea in June, July 2019, when we knew like the table's 10-year anniversary was coming up in Jan 2020. And we were like, it's 10 years, we've got to do something big. And obviously like, I would not know where to start with a cookbook. So I was like, oh, let's write a book. But, you know, all I can write are like stories. And I thought, oh, we'll just like pull this off in like six months. What is it called? It's called Diamonds for Breakfast. Yeah. And you are the first to know, by the way. That's (laughs) amazing. By the time this episode is out, everyone would have read it. I know. Well, hopefully. So Um, it's it's, uh, fiction inspired. It's no names. (laughs) There are names. It's non-fiction. I'm probably going to get sued. <laughs> oh my God. I know. Okay, so then that is going to become a show and that's going to become a movie. No. And that's, oh God. Look at me, yeah, I'm right. Off. But that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. So yeah, I'm looking forward to all the good feedback on it. But yeah, putting it out there. And uh, yeah, obviously it didn't happen in six months. It's happened in three and a half years later. But um, Congratulations. That, yes. That's big news. Thank you. And thank you so much. I'm sure people that are listening in have got a lot of value from everything that you had to say. I know I have. Thank you so much for giving me the time. Thank you. I hope you liked that episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And this year we have video. So search for Pooja Dhingra on YouTube and don't forget to like and share this video and subscribe to my channel so you don't miss an episode.